and welcome to another episode of Consumer, the European podcast of the Consumer Choice Center. As always, I'm your host, Bill Words, with Billy Joel's pressure fading out in the background. You are listening to the episode of November 25th, 2021. A short episode this week. Um, that's because uh, the Consumer Choice Center is meeting for a staff retreat in Venice, where I'll be at while uh, this episode is airing, so a little uh, time to put together an episode. I do have two items for you uh, this week, but as always, wanted to remind you, uh, if you want to support this podcast, you can donate to the Consumer Choice Center on consumerchoicecenter.org slash donate. All help is appreciated. Two, two items on the agenda this week. Uh, the Minimum Wage Directive, which is opposed by lawmakers in Denmark and Sweden. And I'm briefly chatting to my uh, friend Michael Lundell, director of the World Vapors Alliance. And they recently had a stunt in Brussels, so we had some time to chat about how that went. So first, uh, the uh, European Commission, as you may or may not know, is working on a Minimum Wage Directive. This is to set... Um, a minimum wage across the entire European Union. That is not supposed to be the exact same amount, which would make very little sense uh, to have the same amount between Bulgaria and Luxembourg. Um, but uh, there, there are certain criteria. And um, Euronews here outlines a few of the points, both of the directive, but also of the opposition that exists in Scandinavian countries such as Denmark and Sweden. A minimum wage for Europe. Not the same wage to fit all EU countries but at least a legal guarantee that a worker from Bulgaria to Luxembourg can earn enough to live from. Minimum wages work and it's time that work paid. Since the financial crisis, uh, those who earn the least have suffered the most in terms of not reaping the benefits of economic growth. Now, thank you very much. With that in mind, the European Commission presented their much-anticipated legally binding directive today. They would provide the calculations and EU member states would then set the wage, based, of course, on living costs, house prices and national GDP. Denmark and Sweden say no. They say it's not up to politicians to set the minimum wage. It's the unions and the employers who negotiate collective agreements every year or two years or three years, whatever the length is, and that has worked very well. Very few days uh, lost in industrial action, for example, good uh, wage development, etc. So I think this is the best way for us. We don't want this directive. Sweden may not want this directive, but other countries need one. Otherwise, the most vulnerable workers will be exploited. That's how the European Trade Union Confederation feel. They say the best takeaway from this proposal is that collective bargaining would also become the norm in countries in the East. So interesting dynamic there uh, happening in Scandinavian countries, which for a long time have been very critical towards this minimum wage directive. Um, it so appears that um, leftist parties and trade unions, of all people, have actually gathered enough signatures, signatures in Denmark and Sweden um, to uh, force a vote in November in the November's European Parliament plenary, which is uh, coming up, I believe. And so that will be very interesting to see how that will play out. Um, also, of course, the, the standard uh, labor unions in Western Europe, Central Europe and Eastern Europe have a very different view on this. And this really touches at the heart of the, the functioning of the European Union. What is the European Union supposed to regulate? And it's interesting that even those on the left are now also very critical of this model. Now, Scandinavian countries have a very different um, um, uh, negotiation model for wages compared to, uh, to countries elsewhere. Um, 
I I think it it is I think it's a better system to have that um, to have that interaction between labor unions and 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 employers. Um, but of course, it also depends on the exact legislation of, as to like how much power trade unions have. Now, what is interesting is that in those countries where social rights are very much ingrained, sometimes even in the constitution, you see strikes all the time. France is a good example. Germany is another one. And and here in Scandinavian countries, it, it doesn't seem to 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 be the same uh, amount of problems. Um, Switzerland also has a similar model to this, where no minimum wage exists, and actually in referendums. Um, the citizens have have spoken out against the introduction of a minimum wage. Now, the cynical people can say was well, because they make enough money already, but I mean, it's also it's 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 about purchasing power ultimately, and I think that's also what the European uh, Union uh, directive is exactly looking at. I think ultimately it doesn't really make sense to interfere in the negotiations between employees and employers. Uh, I myself am a freelancer, so I mean, there's there's no there's, there's not that many labor regulations affecting me, and I I am I'm an individual and I can make choices as to how I want to organize my work time. I don't have official time off. I, I have insurances to guarantee if certain health problems appear for myself that that those can be dealt with. But that is ultimately for the individual, uh, in my view, to to decide. And and this of course also affects consumers, not only because most consumers are also people who um, who who have some sort of uh, work, but also because um, as you set the minimum wage, that affects n- consumer. Um, uh, services, you know, if you increase the minimum wage too much, you see self checkouts and and all these machines. They do pop up as machines become cheaper than um, than, than than paying people to to do the to do the work. Uh, but also, it also affects prices. If you increase the minimum wage, you also do uh, do affect consumer prices. And and, and of course, uh, there are there are indicators of that. I know that in my home country, Luxembourg, when the when the government increases the, the the minimum wage, it then a bit later has to also index um, wages even further because, well, inflation has has risen or it needs to give a boost to consumers because prices have risen. And I think right now, as we have overall inflation, that plays into it. I think individuals need to negotiate those those terms with their employers. And, and you mean you can have indexation rules within your contract as well. Uh, I think a lot of people... Um, underestimate the negotiation process within companies because they are uh, they just take whatever they're presented with because they believe that the regulatory framework will help them out in the end when very often people fall through the cracks and if people have more awareness as to like what their employment contracts can and should look like they would get more into the nitty-gritty of negotiating and and that would also leave space for labor unions to play an active role in consulting uh, uh, members in terms of how they should act. And I think I think this this active role is more taken up by uh, labor unions in, in Northern Europe than it is in 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 the rest of Europe, especially because labor unions see themselves as an independent actor, not as somebody that just lobbies the government for a regulatory overhaul. But now let's get to the to the short uh, interview I did with my friend Michael Lundell from the World Vapors Alliance. We talked about uh, their recent uh, programs, what's happening in Brussels, and where we are with the EU beating cancer plan. Michael, you were recently in Brussels with the World Vapors Alliance, and uh, tell us a bit about how that went. That went really well because the European beating cancer plan is in its final stages right now in the European Parliament. 
So we brought our vape bus, which we were touring through Europe in the last few months uh, to Brussels. And not only this, but also all the voices of vapors and consumers, which we collected in all these countries to Brussels on a huge video wall so that politicians finally have to listen to consumers. Um, and also a couple of MEPs uh, invited us to meet them and they were very open and supportive. So I would say we saw a little bit of progress in, in the whole field of vaping, I would say. How does it go when you have the opportunity of meeting those who seem to be sort of against vaping? Do you, do you get those meetings with, with MEPs who are very skeptical? It is obviously a little bit harder than with those who are more on our side, but it seems like now that um, the final decision for the beating cancer plan is ahead of us, um, they seem to be more into the topic and more engaged as well, and also listening to pro-vaping consumers. Um, so yeah, there is a progress. Obviously, it's still very hard and uh, from my perspective, not good enough. And that's why we have those kind of activities to, to give the vapors an actual voice and making sure that all of the decision makers are hearing their voices and their individual stories. Give our listeners a bit of a timeline update on where the EU beating cancer plan is right now in its legislative stage. Okay, at the moment, the European Parliament is discussing its very own version of the beating cancer plan. And there we are in the middle of the final negotiations and the final vote on, on a lot of amendments which MEPs brought in uh, will be held on December 9th. So then the, the European Parliament's version will be finished and then the institutions start to negotiating the final outcome. Right. And how to, to what extent do you think that conversations with members that are not part of this committee will also be important? Is there any push on the final votes, uh, amendments in the plenary or anything that you'll be working on as well as the WVA? I mean, our goal from the beginning was to introduce the general concept of harm reduction into the plan. And what we see and hear so far is that this uh, looks good and promising. So there might be um, harm reduction included in it. Obviously, when we go a little bit deeper into it, we wanted to have a clear statement that vaping is less harmful and um, one of the best ways for smoking cessation in there. And therefore, the EU should encourage smokers to switch to vaping. Obviously, it won't go that far. Um, the big debate at the moment is even a flavor ban, which would be disastrous. Um, so there are many, many amendments which, which are in favor of a ban that would basically be kind of a prohibition for vaping because uh, most adults are using flavors quite logically. They don't, they don't want to be reminded of, of the cigarette taste. So we all use our cherry and strawberry flavors. Um, and the ban of, the, uh, of these flavors would be, would be super detrimental and push back millions of current vapors and also discourage smokers to switch. So I think this is the, 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 the current battle which we have to fight and make sure that politicians understand how important flavors are. I have one more question for you, Michael. Um, on the bit of the personal level, which I find interesting as well, with the politicians you meet who are supportive of vaping, are they themselves vapors as well? What, what is sort of the, the, the differentiation there? Do you have non-vapors that are supportive of smoking cessation tools and those who use them themselves and maybe uh, out of their own experience will be endorsing vaping? How does, how does that look? 
Mm, I would say that it's it's probably two 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 parts uh, on this. So there's this the one part who are into the actual health effects. They are doctors themselves, like MEP Lise, for example. So they understand the 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 health effects vaping has. This is the the one part who support vaping, and the other ones are like they don't really like the paternalistic approach to tell people what to do. So it's I would say it's kind of the freedom mentality they they are generally more more against new lifestyle regulations if you want to call it like this um and a lot of them are both i would say so I, that that that's what 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 is a little bit hard for me always to understand because it's even if you don't like vaping as as a product as a or as a choice if you want to improve public health, or in this case, beat cancer from a public health perspective, it should be quite clear that um, vaping needs to be part of the solution. Um, so we try to get both parts into, into the conversation and convince them that um, vaping needs to be in the European Beating Cancer Plan. So that concludes this much shorter than regular episode of Consumer. Uh, next week, we'll be having a very special episode of Consumer um, with uh, many people of the Consumer Choice Center team. So stay tuned for that. As always, I'm your host, Bill Words. See you Thursday. You have